This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Hey, you're listening to the Bite Size Business Breakfast Podcast, 24th of November, Thursday. Everything we have been up to, including having a look at the latest when it comes to the World Cup from a variety of angles. We've been speaking to the boss of Fly Dubai, Gaith Al Gaith, about the shuttles that they are running about 30 a day between here and Doha. We've been speaking to a woman who looks after a penguin. Sarah Pillay is Head of Animal Care and Welfare for Global Snow at Magic Alpha Tame Leisure and Entertainment. She's also the woman who has been taking care of the growing business interests of Toby the Penguin, who is predicting those World Cup matches, looking at some new research suggesting shockingly, that Dubai workers might be skiving off to watch World Cup matches and also looking into those rumours that Dubai might be one of the horses in the race. Horses? Dubai, Manchester, United. I'm getting my sports mixed up. All of that, plus, of course, property-wise, we've been speaking to the guys at Hauser about everything from valuations to mortgage uptake. Where we are flicking through the local papers this morning, where they are full of footy. This is Manchester United Football Club and Arabian Business reporting overnight. Man United for sale, Facebook and Amazon to rival a $10 billion bid from Dubai. This is what Arabian Business reports as the footballing world looks to on-field activity in Qatar. The business world is turning its attention to off-field activity in Europe's domestic leagues. England's most successful teams, Liverpool and Manchester United, both effectively being put up for sale, they say. Also, in France, PSG, their Qatari owners, saying they're open to offers for a partial stake in the club. Deep-pocketed investors are looking to make deals. Uh, Abu Dhabi is not in the race for a stake in Manchester United, says Arabian Business. Of course, Sheikh Mansour, based in Abu Dhabi, already owns Manchester City, their cross-city rivals. But investors in Dubai, among those looking to buy the football club, investors in Dubai, we've got uh, the big tech companies and also the British billionaire Jim Radcliffe, who's a from Manchester and a lifelong Manchester United fan, is considered a, a serious bidder for the club as well. But it's on the block, shares of Manchester United, as we've been reporting this morning, up 14% overnight on Tuesday, up another 26% overnight yesterday now with a market value of 3.1 billion dollars it's in play and football is in play and of course the fifa world cup is going on at the moment and an investment in football tom is always partly with the head but partly with the heart Mm. is it not it's an investment of passion whether you're buying artwork or a, a football club or a classic car yes they're investments and these are assets that can sometimes do sometimes don't appreciate but there's an element of the heart as well, is there not? Definitely, especially from 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 whence these clubs came. They are fundamentally clubs that are created by fans, aren't they? Back in the day, uh, fans play a huge part in in the success of a club, and we see and have seen, unfortunately, in recent times, especially with the Manchester United model, etc. Fans getting very unhappy uh, and disputing, glazers out, banners being displayed uh, around the club. And when the fans turn on you and turn on the owners, then you feel the real might. And 
I wonder whether this is in play with these this current uh, situation at the moment. Um, it becomes very personal to a lot of people. Um, so let's wait and see. But the, the, the problem is they've just grown so big, these clubs, and they are money-making machines for big investors. Um, uh, the Manchester, And that's pr- the problem. I mean, I don't know Manchester United as personally as you do, but from what I read and what I hear from other Manchester United fans, that's the problem at Manchester United. It's not a problem of investing too much in the team. You know, they've brought in players. They've brought in the wrong kind of players, but they've spent on players. It's just the infrastructure. And apparently those that go to Old Trafford these days say it is, it is a, a poor example of Premier League stadiums compared to some of the other uber stadiums around um, is looking very, very old and shabby. And that's the sort of indication that there hasn't been the investment back into the club and the club infrastructure. Yeah, you've got to, bought in a couple of marquee players for squillions of, of, of quid, but they're not having the impact that, that the investors need to do now, which is investing into the infrastructure and into the areas around that infrastructure. Well, I'd, I'd make two comments on that. One, uh, I was at Old Trafford about a month ago with my son. We went to watch a game, Man United against Tottenham. Stadium seemed fine to me. I mean, it, I've been going to watch football matches for 40 years now. Football stadiums aren't very nice, but that's kind of the point. Uh, the, um, the, the second point I'd make is when I was at Manchester City, remember I went the end of last season, about May, for a two-day kind of immersive tour at Manchester City, which is a brilliantly well-run club owned by Shane Mansour in, uh, in Abu Dhabi, but it's in Manchester. They have got a beautiful new stadium, but the guys there admitted... New stadiums are shiny and new and lovely, but they lack atmosphere. And that's a big problem at the the Etihad Stadium in Manchester or the Emirates Stadium in um, in London, where Arsenal play. Um, and maybe even the Tottenham Stadium, which is, by all accounts, the best football stadium in the world at the moment, in North London. Yes, they're wonderful, but atmosphere is a big part of a sporting event. And the, the final point I'd make is that, yeah, the potential returns on football have been staggering over the past decade. But is that still the case? Sheikh Mansour bought Manchester City for £200 million in 2008. It's now worth, according to Forbes, £3.5 billion. Now, I didn't make any investments in 2008 that have done that well. Mm. I absolutely did not. But doesn't past performance is no guarantee, Brandy, is it? Of, uh, of, of future returns. So we'll see what happens here. No, indeed. But speaking of atmosphere and speaking of the fans... Whose home it's coming to is, of course, at this stage debatable. But according to the guys at Golf Talent, it's causing disruption in our work places. They have done a survey uh, to see what the effect of the World Cup on workplaces in this region is um, in a shocking finding uh, people are skiving off to watch the games quite right too by all accounts can we say this just for seven o'clock uh, the, with the, the Saudi Argentina game was a two o'clock kickoff in the UAE on Tuesday by all accounts there wasn't an awful lot of work going on in the sales department here at the Arabian radio network between 2 and 4 p.m. on a Tuesday afternoon and i would say rightly so some things are more important but what what what's the data saying brandy uh, the data is saying uh, that one in 3 plan to watch the matches during working hours um, 77% of employees say they'll be watching at least some games. 
Um, one third say it's all right, the boss is going to give us uh, the nod, we will be okay. Um, one in six say I'm just going to watch them on my computer regardless or on the phone, what have you. Um, uh, strategies people will employ include either formally taking leave, um, skiving off early or calling in sick. Uh, those and now this is the most interesting bit of the I plan to do all of the above. <laughs> those most likely to call in sick to watch the games, in fact, twice as likely are those who are working remotely or in a hybrid mode. Okay, yeah, so you're on a Zoom call, but you're not looking into the camera, you're looking at your laptop or your phone to your right because that's where the game is on. I saw this actually, it was really funny. You know, I'm doing um, some uh, education at Harriet Watt University at the moment, which is like round the corner from here. It's like a 10 minute walk away. And when I was there, this is 10 days ago, the Cricket World Cup was on T20 and you could see like 50 kids in a classroom and a lot of them are from uh, Indian or, or Indian origin. And the, the professors at the front giving a lecture on engineering or whatever. And you could see just the laptops open and they were watching India against Pakistan cricket match. Just not caring about the cricket. And I thought, good on you. <laughs> just the highlights. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Let's continue a look at the economics of the Football World Cup and the impact it's having, not just on Doha, but the region as a whole, no more so than our own backyard. And talking of our own backyard, um, just cast your eyes south. Look south in the next couple of uh, weeks. Uh, head south down to, towards Dubai south and you will see a palpable, a notable uh, increase in activity in the air. Uh, that's because the shuttles are on. Fly Dubai's match day shuttle service uh, is well and truly up and running from uh, World Central, Dubai World Central, um, uh, here in Dubai. Uh, to tell us more about those shuttle services, an absolute pleasure to be joined now by the CEO of Fly Dubai, Gaithar Gaith, who joins us live on the line. Morning, Gaith. Good morning, good morning, Richard. How are you? We're all good this morning, and we thank you very much indeed for your time this morning. Um, excited about the shuttle flights, as I'm sure thousands of others are. Uh, in terms of how many flights and how full they are at the moment, Gaith, give us an indication. Well, uh, first of all, we are extremely uh, grateful uh, for the opportunity uh, to be part of this uh, fantastic uh, uh, celebrations of football that happens every four years. And we are so honored uh, in this region uh, to have uh, uh, the football here. And, uh, you know, the Qataris did a fantastic uh, job uh, having the World Cup here. And uh, what they are doing uh, to promote the region is, is great. Uh, we, we have uh, 30 flights uh, a day for 30 going and 30 coming. Uh, we start uh, as early as 6.20, uh, and it's almost around the clock. Uh, every hour there's a flight or two. There is a small um, pause in the middle of the day, around 2 o'clock, uh, but we continue uh, again. And uh, the, the flights are practically uh, full uh, from uh, in, in the morning when they, when they go. Of course, there are still seats. Uh, people, and then coming back uh, on the, uh, after the match is uh, finished, uh, the flight is also very busy, and uh, you know we are very excited. There's a buzz. Uh, so, I, mean, I think one of these days you have to come and broadcast from the airport itself. <laughs> Absolutely, it's mad. You, you, you know, if it was not for uh, your uh, voice uh, recording, lady, I would have gone inside the airport and let you hear uh, the noises the people are made. 
it's so beautiful and it gives you uh, a feel that you are almost in the World Cup. So there really is an atmosphere down at Dubai World Central at the moment. Absolutely. And especially today, you know, today we have the Brazilian, we have the Uruguayan, and then we have the Ghanaian. So we have it all today. And in terms of uh, in terms of that demographic of passenger, are you seeing passengers from all corners of the globe using these shuttle flights? Everywhere, everywhere. Uh, you know, from all over the world. There's like almost, I, I saw a list that included maybe like 30 different nationalities uh, flying on these flights. And if you were interested to know the... The, the largest population or the largest nationalities. Of course, you will not be surprised. It's uh, your uh, your people, the British. <laughs> <laughs> I hope they're not being the loudest as well, Gaith, uh, because we're often no, accused no, no. of that. Every, you know, I, I mean, everything is going smooth. Uh, it's uh, it's incredible uh, that you know people. Uh, I mean, what we do, you know, we um, we have the uh, people check in already. Mm-hmm. We've checked their, their hire uh, application, that they have the hire. So practically people just walk to the aircraft uh, and then uh, receive in Qatar uh, with an open arm. Uh, you know, so smooth there. One of the concerns I had personally, that there will be so many people arriving into Qatar. But the Qataris have done a fantastic job. Uh, the transportation in Qatar, when they arrive there uh, to, go to, the, uh, to go to the stadium, has been very smooth. Uh, the transfer, uh, transportation back because you know your people have to take like a, a shuttle bus, yeah. uh, a metro, uh, and it's all been uh, very smooth. Uh, it's perfect actually. Uh, a lot of that's down to partnerships, uh, uh, Gaith. Obviously, the uh, partnership, the well-documented partnership between uh, Qatar Airways and, of course, your fly Dubai to make this one happen, and Dubai airports as well. Uh, how is Dubai World Central coping with these extra numbers at the moment? No, I mean, they are coping very well. I mean, the, the, the guys here on the ground, let's, let's not forget uh, the Dubai airport uh, guys, the Donata people, the immigration, the, uh, the, the, the police. They are they're really handling uh, this fantastically. Of course, the, the facility at, at this airport is quite uh, significant. And uh, everything is going very smooth. We hardly have any delays. The delays that we have are minutes. Uh, and these are just normal delays. It's been handled very well, actually. And it's not only our 30 flights, as you might say. Qatar Airways also operate 10 flights, but they are bigger aircraft, the 330s. They almost take uh, twice as many passengers as we do on each aircraft. So, uh, and then there's also some charter operators uh, that uh, are operating uh, something like 12 flights uh, with big aircraft also. So it's, it's going well here in the airport. As I said, it's a buzz. And one of these days you have to come here and broadcast. We will definitely take you up on that invite, Gaith, that's for sure. I think, I, I think you should come when England playing Wales. <laughs> that will be a thing. <laughs> Yamba Ohi! It's going to be busy, 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 that's for sure. Yeah, Gaith, yeah. listen, I'll let you get back to it. I know it's busy time for you at the moment. Final question, though, Gaith, for you. Yes. Um, and it's Please. the pressing question. Who's going to win the World Cup, Gaith? For me, it's England. Ooh. Gaith, we are, we're definitely on the way to come and see you then, that's for sure. That's, it's coming home, Gaith, it's coming home. Yeah. Our, our star boy, Saka, will do it for you. 
<laughs> Your star boy. Good on you, Gaith. Really nice to catch up with you. Uh, thank you very much indeed for joining us uh, live on the line this morning. Gaith or Gaith, who is, of course, the CEO of Fly Dubai and might be an Arsenal fan as well. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, exclusively on DubaiEye1038.com. We were quite amazed yesterday on the Business Breakfast to discover that Dubai's got its very own World Cup predicting animal, Toby the Penguin of Ski Dubai, who accurately called the Saudi-Argentina game. Naturally, we need to know more about the business of nurturing a predicting penguin pundit, so we are very pleased to be joined on the line by Sarah Pillay, who is Head of Animal Care and Welfare for Global Snow at Majidal for Tame Leisure and Entertainment. Sarah, good morning. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. And I've got so many questions, starting with why Toby? He's not your only penguin. How did you identify his cup-calling talents? Well, Toby, I mean, he's he's a very special penguin. He is part of a research project that we started a couple of years ago uh, where we were training the penguins to respond to different colors and different shapes. And he was just one of those penguins that caught on really quickly. Uh, we actually taught him to respond to or target to the color yellow. Um, so no matter where... We had little panels that we had for the guests to hold, and where, wherever the panel went, um, he would follow the yellow pan, the yellow panel. Um, and then we tried it with different colors, different other colors, different shapes. Um, and yeah, it was a really exciting project that we, you know, these penguins are not just bird brains; they're they're extremely clever and extremely intelligent, and can catch on really quickly to different concepts. Well, for those who haven't seen Toby on your social media, he does beak a ball towards the flags of those who are playing. Did you have to train him to do exactly that? It wasn't really um, training him to touch a specific ball or a specific colour. Um, we just trained him to touch something. So we asked him to touch something, one of the two balls, and he chose his own ball. And there's no funny business? No one's off camera dangling a sardine no, behind no. a flag? It's all his choice, all his choice. So what's his hit rate so far? So far he's got three rides. He's got uh, Saudi, uh, Japan and France. So, wow. so far we're on a good street. And what has he meant for, for your hits? I mean, he's, he's on your Instagram stories. What has it done for, well, for his social media presence? Well, I mean, Toby right now is a superstar. We have people coming into Ski Dubai asking to meet him. Um, you know, people reaching out to us asking more information about him. So, yeah, he seems to have gotten viral very quickly with his, his little football tricks. Are we going to have Toby merch? How far could this go? <laughs> we don't know. It's something that we need to look at. I mean, today we, we've already got three film shoots with him, uh, one interview with him. So, yeah, it's we'll take it day by day and we'll see how far it goes. So this is very good for, for Ski Dubai. This would be your busy season anyway, wouldn't it? I mean, what does the, the winter mean for you or does it not matter in the land of snow? No, of course. Ski Dubai is the only place in well, the UAE, uh, basically, that you can have a white Christmas with real snow. Uh, my daughter even says that the Santa at Ski Dubai is actually the real Santa. All the other Santas are fake. So Ski Dubai Christmas is one of the biggest uh, Christmas events in the Middle East. Um, you know, we get people coming from all over the world. Obviously, we have um, all sorts of um, activities for the kids to do and not just just for kids it's for the whole family it's an experience that um, many people never forget the Christmas at Ski Dubai. 
I was really interested to, to read your LinkedIn profile and to discover that Majid Al Fatame actually had a global snow division. You've got Ski Egypt and you've got Snow Oman coming up. Um, how many penguins are you actually responsible for? Well, in total at the moment, we have uh, 50 at Ski Dubai um, and we have 10 in Egypt. Uh, we are sending some of our Ski Dubai penguins to Oman. That's where actually where I'm at the moment, getting ready for the penguins to arrive in Oman. Um, so, yeah, all in all, we're 60 penguins. It's like a penguin exchange program. This is the business <laughs> breakfast, so we do have to ask. We're talking a lot about inflation at the moment. Um, what's happening to the, the cost of penguin husbandry? Everything from the, the cost of fish to, I guess, the electricity keeping it cold. Do you notice a difference? Electricity, no, no, not so much. Fish consumption, definitely, as the penguin family grows, they obviously eat more and more. And they also, you know, at different times of the year, they will eat more than than others in breeding season they will need to feed their babies uh, if they're molting which is when they're changing their feathers they obviously need to increase their their food intake too um, so yeah otherwise besides fish consumption not so much <laughs> so how can people watch toby predicting the the games are you having public viewings uh, not for the predictions, because the predictions are done ahead of time, obviously. Uh, but we do have our penguin marches that take part four times a day. Um, and you might, might get a glimpse of them there. Uh, we have had, uh, you know, even the last two days, we've had people come in to Skidabai asking to see him. So if he's available, we'll bring him out and he can come and say hi to everyone. Presumably there you've got to protect him from his public, keep his flippers on the ground. Thank you very much for speaking to us this morning from Oman, uh, where she is importing penguins. Sarah Pillay, Head of Animal Care and Welfare for Global Snow at Magin Alphatame Leisure and Entertainment. I've been presenting this show for nearly 20 years. That's one of the best interviews I think we've ever done. Toby the predicting penguin. But He's got a three bus- photo shoots today. There's a f- Exactly, and that's my point. There's a business angle to it. He's a marketing phenomenon. He's an influencer. Yeah, no. Toby Merch, that's that's the future. Hashtag, uh, yeah. Tom, Toby the predicting penguin, you're the sports guy. Yeah, sign him up. IMG will be circling at the moment, won't they? What's happened to my plan to get a, predict- a, a, a predicting oryx in the studio? That was my that was my bid yesterday. What did an Oryx in the studio to predict the World Cup? Hasn't happened. They are dangerous. So Producer Isa is not going to give you that. Catch up on the business headlines with the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Sarah Hewardine's with us in the studio, Head of Marketing at Houser. Morning, Sarah. Good morning, Richard. Good to have you with us. So, cash is king. 80% plus of deals are with cash at the moment. A, what does your data tell you about whether that's true or not? And B, what do you make of it? So, yes, it's true. 80% is taking up of cash purchases. The difference being, I think it's important to look at the numbers when you look at the transactions, not just the percentages. So there definitely is a lot more cash coming into this market. But what we've seen over the last few years in terms of mortgage transactions has been a real increase because of the, you know, cheaper interest rates. But when you look at the levels we're seeing now compared to pre-COVID, for example, we're pretty much on par. So what we've seen over the last really 24 months is an increase in these mortgage transactions. And you're seeing us come back to roughly a similar level as pre-COVID. The only difference being is 
investors aren't making up as much of a share of those mortgages now. Well, let's talk about interest rates and the impact on real estate. Brandy, can we queue up Dan Richards from Emirates MBD, who's been talking about the Federal Reserve? We had minutes last night, didn't we, from the Fed, which is, a, if you like, a forward-looking indicator on what's going to happen to interest rates. And this is what Dan had to say. We saw gains across all three benchmark equity indices and the, the dollar weakened against its basket of currencies as well as there was a greater likelihood, uh, the minutes painted a great a picture of a greater likelihood that that rapid pace of rate hikes that we've seen so far this year will now start to slow. The key takeaway probably was the line that a substantial majority of participants judged that a slowing in the pace of increase would likely soon be appropriate. How do you feed that through, Sarah, into your analysis of the real estate market? Rates have been rising very rapidly for the past year, but that, as Dan Richard said, that that pace of rate increases is likely to slow. Yeah, and I think that we are seeing that when we when we look on the ground, is you've got quite a few buyers right now that have been you know, there's still been good sentiment and taking out mortgage transactions, but because there's now this point of, you know, the rates are actually going to stabilise. I think that's definitely improving quite a bit of sentiment. It's also shifted the type of mortgage adoption. So what we saw, you know, start H1 of 2021 was more of the five-year fix. We've gone to more towards a three-year fix. And now we're at a stage where one-year fixes are actually becoming a little bit more common because what we're starting to see is, as you've mentioned, more sentiment around, you know, reduced interest rate hikes over the next few months. We've got the next one in a few weeks. And I think what we're likely to see is maybe that stabilised next year. So people aren't wanting to fix now for as long um, as they were previously because again sentiment has changed around that. The banks are not wanting to fix for as long. Yes, yeah, exactly. But but yet the market from the data we've been seeing is still absolutely flying. We got data out from MR Properties and MR Development, their subsidiary, what, about 10 days ago? No, no, Tom was covering this one. Record sales for MR Development in the, in the nine months of the first nine months of this year. But that's backward-looking data. That's looking in the rearview mirror. What's the forward-looking data telling you about future transactions, Sarah? So our real indicators come down to like buyer registrations that's what we're seeing now because remember our transactions and these mortgage transactions we're talking about is really a reflection of what happened on the ground in August roughly. So right now buyer registrations are still remaining very strong but we are seeing quite a few buyers especially end users not investors just stopping to kind of pause regroup and then get into mortgages at the start of next year. I also think we've seen that shift from um, that we've discussed recently, a shift from um, end users buying ready property to buying off plans. I think that off plan transaction eating up the overall share will be likely to continue. But what I think we'll see is mid next year is us go back to more people, you know, work in the ready market and buy in the ready market, opposed to going towards off plan to avoid interest rate hikes and, you know, get the units they want. So if you were looking to buy, say, a two bedroom property in the Greens with a nice view, what would you be thinking now? Would it be a, a, an off-plan property that will be ready in 2025 or something that you can buy and a bit older, but you can buy and move into now? I'm just asking for a friend. Yeah, I think I think it honestly depends on, you know, what you want, what your priority is. You know, you've got to pay if you're going to be towards an off plan, you've got to pay rent for the next few years. Those rent increases is, you know, we're still seeing rent increases. They Are we still to, seeing them? We're still seeing some rent increases, definitely. And I think that there's a lot of people that are coming out now and have maybe been served eviction notice. And they're at a stage where they're going to have to go back into the open rental market and pay increased rent. So if you're going to an off plan property, it might be cheaper to buy that, but you've still got to pay rent and pay those off-plan mortgage installments. It's so hard to say, and it honestly depends on who you are and what you want out of a unit. You know, 
do you want capital appreciation? Do you want to do you want to renovate? Do you want to live in a nice place? And I think all of those questions need to be asked when you weigh that up. Well, well let me ask the question slightly differently. On Hauser.com, your portal, so mm-hmm. you see the data of what people are looking for and searching for. What are people searching for at the moment? We've got a lot of activity happening in off-plan, and we see that. A do lo- you? People are all keen. Yeah, definitely, in, in some of the off-plan communities. And especially when you look at some of the newer launches and areas, you see like Shoba and Azizi, we see searches increasing on Hauser there so we've definitely noticed that but from like a um you know buyer inquiries and people coming onto hauser.com and actually like looking to buy and rent property it still remained incredibly strong and we're still seeing growth in rent and sale well i'm going to bring in tom urquhart here our colleague because tom you were down at cityscape this week and in fact you bumped into sarah didn't you i know you guys had a chat we did but off microphone but you referenced two developers there azizi and shoba Big volume developers here in Dubai. And Tom, you spoke to executives from both of those companies. What did they tell you? Both very bullish, uh, taking the opportunity to show off their scale models and miniatures, etc. Uh, both taking the opportunity uh, to launch new projects as well. So it's still got, uh, got that. But it's also, I suppose... Uh, Look, the big question that we had was um, why it was Cityscape, and they basically said it's indicative of the market. And it's that sort of change that we saw this year at Cityscape. I don't know if you noticed it as well, the team at Hauser, which was years gone by, bit of a trade show. It was real B2B, you know, come in and, and talk, and not much was getting done. And you weren't even allowed to talk about what's getting done. You know, no <laughs> deals, well, deals were done were on the floor. Deals were banned on the floor, yeah. weren't yeah. they? They mm. banned deals, didn't yeah. they, for a while? Yeah. But it was because com- 2019 they started allowing them. And I they've think, completely yeah. turned their back on it now. And it was a complete open door and queues at the door <laughs> and people trying to get in to come in, come on in and buy a perfect house. Yeah, exactly. I think it was actually interesting this year because we only had a few main big developers, like you say, Azizi and Shoba, but they were so busy. And it was, it was nice to see some consumers coming in and transacting happening and I think again that's you know shows the sentiment in the market what about that very high end we haven't spoken that, that it's been what, a month now we haven't had a record price for a villa on Palm Jumeirah it just seems like an age is is that very high end market of billionaires people for whom price is basically no object is that still flying or is that is that calming down a still bit? Still flying and you're, you're hearing reports and I can't remember the source but more millionaires moving to Dubai and we're still seeing huge activity in that luxury end of the market. And again, like when you look towards interest rates and mortgages, that has no impact there. So we're still seeing them coming. We're still seeing them go after more waterfront property. So it's happening. There's high activity. And I honestly don't see that shifting too much because even if we go towards, you know, we're talking about recessions now and higher interest rates are going to continue. It doesn't typically impact the, that wealthy end of the market. Final, final question. What about the average punter? 30 seconds left. The person who is taking out a home loan to buy a home for their family, whether it's an apartment or a townhouse or a small villa or whatever it, it is, what's the sweet spot at the moment, according to your data at Hauser? In terms of the mortgage value? No, no, in terms of the, the demand, what do people want to buy? So right now we are seeing a lot of people move towards apartments still because villas have still stabilised around those price increases. So you're seeing more people who look at two, three bedroom apartments as opposed to getting villas, but you are also seeing another end on the villa market is people buying further out towards the Alcudra Corridor, going out further to the suburbs and buying family homes out there. Sarah Hewardine is the Head of Marketing at Hauser. Always good to have you in the studio, Sarah. Thanks for being with us Thanks for having me. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.